Chapter Thirty of The Road to Mandalay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marianne Hadley. The Road to Mandalay by Bithia Mary Croker. Chapter Thirty. Enlightenment. Miss Fuchsia Bliss was still in Rangoon, and, as she modestly expressed it, crawling round on approval. She had brought letters of introduction to the Lieutenant Governor, the Pomeroys, and the Gregories. Sir Horace and Lady Winter had no young people, so she presently passed on to the Pomeroys, who in their turn reluctantly yielded their guest to Mrs. Gregory. Hosts and hostesses were only too glad to secure the company of Miss Bliss, a girl who had seen so many strange countries and noticed so much with her sharp eyes that her inferences and original remarks were equally novel and interesting. Fuchsia's society was invigorating, and the American could easily have put in twelve months in Burma, if so disposed. But one obstacle, and one only, interposed, and detained her from joining her friends in Cairo. This is in the strictest confidence. She was awaiting the moment when that great big stupid Irishman would speak, Although Fuchsia looked no more than two or three-and-twenty, eight-and-twenty summers had passed over her ash-colored head. She had received an excellent education, and had traveled far, and was as experienced as world-wise as a matron of fifty. Indeed, in natural wit and the art of putting two and two together, she was considerably ahead of most of her sex. Mrs. Gregory enjoyed having young people with her, but her mornings were engaged. She had a hand in the principal benevolent societies in the place, was treasurer of this or secretary of that, apart from her housekeeping and large correspondence, so that she was rarely at liberty before Tiffin. Therefore Fuchsia had all the forenoon to herself, and spent the time visiting her girlfriends or shopping in the bazaar. The heiress had hired a motor, a little two-seater that she could drive, and with respect to locomotion was entirely independent of her hostess. No one in Fuchsia's circle received so many visits as Sophie Lee. She was fond of Sophie, and frequently turned up at Heidelberg to Tiffin or to tea, although she did not care about the set of people that she met there, stout German ladies with somewhat aggressive manners, or second-rate women from the fringe of society, Every one of these was, in the eyes of the little American Democrat, an outsider. Fuchsia was fastidious, an aristocrat to her fingertips, and it was no drawback to Pat Fitzgerald that his maternal uncle was an earl. How could Sophie tolerate these stupid people? Fuchsia asked herself, with their sharp, probing questions and heavy jokes. Why did Mrs. Krauss invite them? and here she came to yet another question. What was the matter with Mrs. Krauss? There was something strange and mysterious about her ailment. Her attacks were so fitful. Now she appeared brilliant and vivacious, with gleams of her former great beauty, the gracious and agreeable hostess. Again, her condition was that of sheer indifference and semi-torpor. And who was the officious and familiar ayah, her attendant and shadow, an obtrusive creature, with bold black eyes and a resolute mouth. 
Why did she speak so authoritatively to her mistress? Why did she wear such handsome jewelry and expensive silk saris, heavily fringed with gold, and strut about with such an air of importance? Lily appeared to have enormous influence with Mrs. Krause. She knew something. She held some secret. This was the conclusion at which Fuchsia the shrewd arrived after she had paid a good many visits to Heidelberg. Fuchsia, with her long chin resting on her hand, set her active brain and cool judgment to work. She recalled a certain scene one evening when she had driven over in her car to take Sophie to the theatre, and was sitting in the veranda half hidden by a screen awaiting her friend, whilst Mrs. Krause, lying prone upon the sofa, fanned herself with a languid hand. Presently, from a doorway, Lily noiselessly drifted in. She was amazingly light-footed for her bulk. "'Now, it is nine o'clock,' she said, addressing her mistress, "'and you have got to go to bed.' Her voice was sharp and authoritative. The reply came in a low murmur of expostulation. "'I'm going to the pagoda to-night,' continued Lily, "'but you will be all right. As soon as you are undressed, you shall have your dose.' On hearing this promise, Mrs. Krause furled her fan, rose from the sofa with astonishing alacrity, and followed her ayah as commanded. Now the question that puzzled Fuchsia was, what was the nature of the dose? It must have been something agreeable, or Mrs. Krause would not have bounded off the sofa and hurried away. And who would rush for a dose of quinine, or even the fashionable petrol? Undoubtedly the dose was a drug, some innervating and insidious drug. This would amply account for the lady's lethargy and languor. The crafty fuchsia threw out several feelers to her hostess on the subject of Heidelberg. She wondered whether anyone shared her suspicions. Certainly Mrs. Gregory did not, but sincerely lamented her neighbor's miserable health, and deplored her obstinacy in remaining season after season in Rangoon. "'It's rather a dull house for poor Sophie,' suggested her friend. "'When her aunt has one of her bad attacks, she sees no visitors for days. Mr. Krause is absent from morning till night. Not that I consider his absence any loss, for I dislike him more than words can express.' "'Well, I can't say that I am one of his admirers,' admitted Mrs. Gregory. "'but I agree with you that Sophie has some long and lonely hours. "'She can come over here whenever she pleases, "'and she cannot come too often, "'for she is a dear girl, "'and I would be glad to have her altogether. "'You know she and I were housemates up at Mamio, "'and when you live with another person in a small bungalow, "'that is your opportunity to get down to the bedrock of character.' "'It was about a week after the elephants "'had been transported across the river.' and Sophie and Fuchsia were sitting in the latter's bedroom at the barn. Sophie was altering a hat for her companion. She was remarkably clever in this line, and a surprising quantity of her friend's millinery had passed through her fingers. "'Mr. Shafto had a narrow squeak this day week,' remarked Fuchsia, who was lounging in a chair doing nothing. "'Did you hear someone say that he was pushed in?' "'Oh, no! By accident?' or on purpose. Whichever you please, the result was the same. Then, after a considerable pause, she added significantly, 
perhaps he knows too much. Too much of what? asked Sophie, looking up. Oh, there are many secrets in Rangoon, said Fuchsia, nodding her head. I have grasped that, although I have only been here two months, and you a whole year. Have you never noticed anything? Have you no suspicions about people? No, not of anything that matters. I suspect that the eldest Miss Wigan rouges and darkens her eyebrows, that Lady Puffle wears a wig, and that the Grahams are thoroughly sick of their paying guest. But you are ten times cleverer than I am, Fuchsia, and, according to Mr. Gregory, singularly intelligent and acute. Acute! Rubbish! Fuchsia dismissed the idea with a gesture of her tiny hand. I'm not thinking of wigs or paint or such piffle. Say, have you never heard of the cocaine business? Oh, yes. Mr. Shafto is tremendously keen on the subject. Pat Fitzgerald is mad about it, too, and is having a great big try to rope in the boss smugglers. He has told me the most terrible tales. Once the drug, its cocaine and morphine mixed, gets a fast hold of a man or woman, he or she is doomed. Oh, Fuchsia! Surely not so bad as that. It's true. The poor thief to get a few annas to spend in the dens. The rich and educated buy it by stealth, and absorb it at home in secret. What are the symptoms? inquired Sophie. Have you ever seen anyone who took those drugs? Well, I could not say, she answered evasively, but I am aware that the symptoms are unaccountable drowsiness and lethargy, followed by a death-like sleep, and, they say, the most heavenly dreams. Later the dreamer wakes up, haggard, feverish, and miserable. The skin has a dried, shrunken look, and you can always tell a drug-taker by the eyes. The pupil is either as small as a pinpoint, or else enormously enlarged. Fuchsia glanced sharply at Sophie, who was carefully manipulating a large bow. Was she recalling a domestic picture? Did any suspicion sink into her simple mind? If such was the case, the girl gave no sign. These drug maniacs' lives are a real burden, continued Fuchsia. They become indolent and slovenly. All they want in the whole world is more and more and more cocaine. The effect on some is to clear and stimulate the brain, and for a short time they seem superhuman. But soon this marvellous illumination that has flared up dies down like a fire of straw, and leaves them nothing but the cold ashes. Fuchsia, said her companion, suddenly raising her head and gazing at her steadily, I believe you are thinking of someone. Why do you say that? Tell me who it is. But Fuchsia merely looked down on the ground and maintained an unusual silence. Do you know anyone that the cap fits? persisted Sophie. Then, with a quick movement, she put the hat aside, and confronting her companion said, Surely, surely you don't mean Aunt Flora. Fuchsia's reply was a slow, deliberate nod. Oh, Fuchsia, this is too dreadful. How can you? Tell me, why you have such a hideous suspicion? All right, then, I will and Fuchsia sat bolt upright. I'm older than you are, 
and have knocked about the world a bit, and can't help seeing things that are thrust under my nose and drawing an inference. I must tell you that my grandfather was a notable lawyer, and who knows but that scrap of his mantle may not have descended upon me. Now, to answer your question right away, you will admit that pretty often your aunt is dressed like last year's scarecrow, that she is drowsy, stupefied, and generally inaccessible. At another time she is real smart and vivacious, and puts other women in the shade. Then suddenly she disappears, shuts herself up along with Liliaya, and not a soul may approach her, no, not even you. Undoubtedly Lily provides the drug and is handsomely paid. I ask you to look at her jewels and her diamond nose-ring. Your aunt refuses to see a doctor, for a doctor would diagnose her case the instant he set eyes on her. She also refuses to quit Rangoon. And why? Because she would be torn away from what is killing her inch by inch. And that is cocaine. By the time Fuchsia had ended this speech, Sophie's face was colorless, and, as she unconsciously stroked a piece of ribbon between her fingers, many facts in support of Fuchsia's verdict flocked into her brain and forced themselves upon her comprehension. She had a conviction that what her friend had just told her was neither more nor less than a dreadful truth. An instant of clear vision had come. Scales had fallen from her eyes. She recalled those strange excursions to Ashi's stifling den, the purchase of ivory so soon thrown aside. Undoubtedly this collection of Netsuki's was a blind. Her aunt's real object was to procure drugs. "'I'm afraid this is an awful blow to you, Sophie,' resumed Fuchsia, "'and you will think I had no business to crowd in. "'But it is best that you should have your eyes open before it's too late. "'What do you think yourself, dear?' There was an agonizing pause. Self-deception was no longer possible. With an effort, she replied, "'I'm afraid what you have told me is terribly true. "'It was stupid of me not to have guessed at something of the sort. "'I see things clearly now that you have put them before my eyes. "'Many puzzles are explained. "'The reason Aunt Flora keeps herself isolated,' THE REASON WHY SHE HAS NO REALLY INTIMATE FRIENDS, THE REASON WHY SHE IS SO UNTIDY IN HER DRESS AT TIMES, AND TALKS SO STRANGELY. I SUPPOSE MR. Krauss KNOWS? NO, REPLIED Fuchsia WITH EMPHASIS. I HAVE WATCHED HIM CAREFULLY, AND I DON'T BELIEVE HE HAS THE FAINTEST SUSPICION, ANY MORE THAN YOU HAD YOURSELF. YOUR AUNT'S AYA, AND POSSIBLY THE COOK, ARE FELLOW CONSPIRATORS, and no doubt the cause of the missus's long, strange illness is common talk in the compound. What can be done to cure it? Oh, Fuchsia, do advise me. If I were to offer you one piece of advice, you would not take it. Well, at least allow me to hear it. It is to clear out of the house altogether and return home. I shall certainly not take that advice. I was invited to Rangoon to be a companion to Aunt Flora, and the moment that I find she has something frightful to fight against is surely not the time for me to run away and leave her in the lurch. No, I shall stay here and do what I can. Ah, uh, if you only could! 
But, my dear girl, I am afraid it's too late. I have been questioning Pat Fitzgerald, of course without letting him know that I had any case in my mind's eye. From what I have gathered, Mrs. Krause has been taking this drug for a long time, and has passed all help. Then do you mean, Fuchsia, that I am to sit by, utterly helpless, whilst my aunt slowly puts herself to death? Of course you might try various things. You could make it your business to find out and destroy the hypodermic syringe. Or perhaps your aunt takes it in pellets. I should interview the ayah, and inform her you know the nature of her mistress's complaint. Threaten that you will tell Mr. Krause and have her discharged. I expect she gets enormous wages, and has feathered her nest handsomely. If you could inveigle your aunt into taking a voyage to Australia, that might be of use. But these are just suggestions. In any way that I can help or back you up, I will. All the same, I must return to my first statement, which is, no matter how you strive and hope and fear, your effort will come too late. End of chapter 30